feel welcome after that. Um, or maybe we need to sing another verse, but it looked like everybody was having a good time greeting one another. Welcome to Cross Timber on this Sunday before Thanksgiving. If you're like uh, me, you're already in training for the big day. Um, I don't really know what that means, but I'm excited about a lot of good food and spending time with family. And always the reminder that even though a lot of people say, you know, Thanksgiving is is not really a religious holiday, that all the things that we're thankful for would not be um, in existence if there were not um, a loving Father in heaven who makes all things and who, when he created things, said they are good. And so when we take time to be thankful, we recognize that the family that we enjoy, the friends and the food all come from um, the same source. And that's our Father in heaven above. And we are most thankful for his son, Jesus, who brings salvation and who's in whose name we gather together. So if you're visiting with us, it's our great pleasure to have you join us. If you're regular folks, um, welcome back again. If you're listening in online, um, we're glad that you joined us. Um, we'll be reading from the Old Testament book of Ezekiel um, in chapter 11, starting in verse 14 in a few moments after we sing together. And so I just invite you this morning um, through song, through listening, through the reading of scripture and um, we just want to say um, it's our pleasure that you joined us today, and we trust the Lord will bless you as we meet together um, today. So good morning. Would you stand and sing with us this morning?
found Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 14. I invite you to follow along as we read from verse 14 down through the 21st verse this morning before our deacons come and we uh, receive our offering. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, your brothers, even your brothers, your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, all of them, are those of whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Go far from the Lord. To us this land is given for a possession. Therefore say, Thus says the Lord God, Though I remove them far off among the nations, and though I scatter them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, Thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations. And I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. But as for those whose heart goes away after their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord God. Son Jesus and the price he paid on the cross for our sins, dear Lord, that we might have everlasting life with you. Be with us today as we come and worship you. May we give back to you a portion of what you have given to us. Dear Lord, be with the worship leader team here today. Just lead them and say, guide us in our worship with you. Be with Rusty as he delivers the message. May the words from you enter each and every heart here, dear Lord. And we thank you again for your love and for your grace. And we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.
2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you want to turn along there this morning as we meet together, we want to wrap up um, a series we've been looking at for several weeks in 2 Corinthians 5 and 6 about the ministry of reconciliation and the idea that, that God wants to widen our hearts. Um, I won't um, kid myself and assume that you do remember, but you may in fact remember that several weeks ago when we first talked about widening our hearts, I talked about um, the fact that you know it's sometimes very comfortable to find something that is wide. Um, you know, a wide-width shoe um, feels good on my foot, and a wide, um, wide, extra-wide lawn chair feels great as well. But I want you to begin thinking about this, not to think so much in the idea of widening our hearts is comforting, but the idea that when we widen our hearts and the sense that we expose ourselves to be vulnerable, um, not only to our brothers and sisters in church, but to people in the world around us, that it's not always comfortable. It's, in fact, very challenging. Um, it's difficult. Um, Paul will let us know today as we read these words that there's many things that are involved that we may not like very much. But the end result, if we stick to it, is well worth any challenges um, along the way. And so as we look at this theme today and kind of draw it to a close for now, I want us to specifically think about what does it mean for you and I in 2023 to, to live a gospel lifestyle, a life that is permeated, affected, and effective for the cause of Christ. And the main idea I want you to think about is just simply this. God invites believers to grow in Christ and join His work to offer hope to hurting people. God issues an invitation to everyone who is a follower of Jesus to continue to grow in their walk with the Lord and to join in His work of offering hope to hurting people. There's never a call to just sit and watch or sit and be, you know, on the sidelines. It's always a call to grow and to move forward in action. And as we'll see, that it's not always comfortable, but it is indeed always well worth it. We're going to begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 6. We'll read down through verse number 13. Um, we'll pause and we'll get um, started. Verse 1, Paul says this, Working together with him, then, <clears throat> we appeal to you, not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, laborers, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, 
We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, yet making many rich as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you. Corinthians, open, our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you. We thank you for the truth of your word. And we implore you by the power of your spirit to widen our hearts. That you would open up our hearts to the amazing love that you have for us and for the grace that you offer. You would open our hearts to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and you would more importantly open our hearts toward those around us that still need to know. Those people that need hope. Those people that are in the midst of hurt. And those that you would say you miss the most. So Lord, teach us by your word. Guide us by your spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So our goal this morning is to look at several qualities in Paul's ministry. You could say that it's his resume that he presents to the Corinthians. It's both a defense against opponents. There were those that were false teachers that were trying to convince the Corinthian church to turn against Paul. They made accusations against him. And so Paul lists these circumstances, these hardships, in order to establish his credibility. To basically say this, nobody would undergo what I did for nothing. I undergo all these things for the sake of Christ. He calls for them to be reconciled to God and to share that message of reconciliation. And after doing so, he invites the Corinthians who were, in a lot of ways, needing to turn back to the Lord and His Word to respond to Him in the same way that He had responded toward them. And you see that in the exchange of those words. We've widened our hearts to you, widened your hearts toward us. And so hopefully we can understand some, some principles that would apply to us today in 2023 here in Johnson County of what it means to, if we seek after God and we hope to live a gospel life, to follow the way of Jesus and be involved in offering hope to people that are hurting in any number of ways. And as the work is done and as we watch God at work, if God chooses, we get to witness God at work, to see people reconciled to God, to see relationships mended, to see new life born into people, and to see fruitfulness brought forth. Now, I don't want you to get um, worrisome that there's eight um, points there. There's really one point, and that's eight subpoints. Um, usually I A, B, and C things, but here I just did one through eight. Um, but I want us to think about this. First of all, at the very forefront, God invites you and I to be involved in His work. If you remember Henry Blackaby's um, wonderful study, Experiencing God, that's the, the call that God is a, is a missionary God, He's a sending God, and He constantly invites us to be involved in His work. And I would argue with, to you this morning that Jesus still says to his disciples, it may not be out there on the Sea of Galilee, he still says, follow me. 
And the first step there, the first thing you see in your outline that Paul mentions is the idea of being co-workers with Christ. The phrase that you notice there is working together with him. Now, we have to understand a few things. First of all, God doesn't need anybody to work with him. God's got all the power he needs. He chooses to work with us, and when he does, we get blessed when we participate, and he gets all the glory. But along the way, we have to constantly remind ourselves that that he's the master, we're the servants, so we listen to what he says, that we don't work for God, we're not trying to earn God's favor, but we work along with God. You know, the scripture is pretty clear that it's, it's his power at work through us, and that he has prepared us for those good works. And so when his infinite ability meets our humble availability, good things happen. Now, if I ever got the chance to, to pair up in a, in a golf match with, um, you know, with Scotty Scheffler, he's the world number one, um, it would be pretty obvious to realize whose skill and whose ability would be leading the way. It would be his talent, his skill. I would be along for the ride or the walk if we didn't take a cart. And in similar fashion, but to the infinite extreme, when God invites us to join in his work, he wants us to trust in his wisdom because he knows best, his power because he's over all things, and he wants us to listen with our ears to his voice and then just simply do what he says. And then we can sit back and see what God is willing to do through us. You see, a gospel lifestyle looks to see where God is working and then joins him there. So let me ask you this. Where where do you see God working? And then maybe more importantly, what's holding you back from joining in? It's always important to remember that it's God's grace that saves us. It's God's grace that grows us. It's God's grace that keeps us. And so not only do we need to be co-workers with God, but we need to understand grace or that grace is embraced and extended. We appeal to you not to take the grace of God in vain, not to make grace of no consequence in your life. See, Paul's concern was that they wouldn't push through and carry out this ministry of reconciliation. They wouldn't do the work God had called them to do. They had experienced that grace. They were certainly saved. But he wanted to make sure they continued to grow in grace and operate in grace. Many times, if we're not careful, we find ourselves just satisfied with all the benefits of salvation. And we're happy to continue to live for ourselves. But yet the Bible has a clear call to action. That those who have been saved by grace are called to live by grace. And they have a responsibility to share the good news of grace with others. And when you embrace God's grace, it comes with a, a new life and a new way of living. It's not just, woohoo, I'm out of jail, I'm going to heaven. It's, oh, God's created a new way for me to live. I'm a new creation. And it's operating in the perfect atmosphere to grow in your faith. What does that mean? It means that through stumbling and successes, God is with you. He's not given up on you. He is willing to walk with you. He can handle your questions. He can handle your doubts. 
He wants you to live a joyful life, a free life, a life that makes a difference. He wants your life to be such a wondrous experience as you walk with Him that you can't help but share it with others and other people can't help but notice it in your life. So we embrace grace, but we also extend it to others. Now one way we can do that practically is just to be patient with others, to forgive others, and to have forbearance, to kind of let things pass over, to not drill into every situation. But another way, and more importantly, not only do we show it, but we share it. That hope, that idea that God can be, that God wants to reconcile men to himself, and there's a new way of life in Jesus. Because here's the truth. You can't live a gospel lifestyle apart from God's grace. And you can't live a gospel lifestyle and not extend that grace to others. Now in verses 2 through 4, he talks about the urgency of the day. He doesn't want to be a stumbling block. He wants to commend himself to them because he was a committed servant of Christ and he wants them to be the same in their lives. He wanted the glory of Christ to so shine through his life through good and bad circumstances that people couldn't help but recognize it was Christ in him. Then he wrote to the Colossians and said he's the hope of glory. So we partner, we have grace, and then third, there's endurance in suffering and sacrifice. The idea of keeping, keep to keep going because the end is worth the journey. Now, this is so far beyond this grin and bear it attitude where, okay, I'll just endure. It's actually life-giving and joyful. We read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we find that our Lord himself, the writer says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy of what? Pleasing his Father. And so living a gospel lifestyle means that we face challenges and opposition with a joyful resolve. Because our Savior is worthy. And the reward is greater than the sacrifice. Now, I don't know if you've produced a resume or you have a current resume, but the goal of a resume doesn't matter what setting. Is to make the applicant look their very best. You put your best foot forward. You list enough weaknesses on there to let people know that you're somewhat honest, but basically it's it's a brag sheet about how good you are. You want to paint the most beautiful picture of yourself. But you take a look at Paul's resume, and it's filled with personal weakness and continually pointing to the greatness of someone else, the greatness of Christ. And he gives us nine unpleasant circumstances that he mentions. They're divided roughly into three categories, just unpleasant circumstances in general, things that are afflicted on him by others, and then some that are self-imposed. And the key to all of these is the phrase that he mentions there, in great endurance. So Paul could remain under the unpleasant pressure of his circumstances because he knew it was worth it. And why was it worth it? Because he was doing it for 
the sake of Christ. So let's look at these challenges briefly. First, in general, he says, in afflictions, hardships, and calamities. Think about this when, when life gets tough, things press in against us, or maybe finding yourself in a tight spot, if you're familiar with that. Just basically look at any Indiana Jones movie you've ever seen. Whatever situation it is, you know, um, there's all those near-death experiences, one right after another. It makes an exciting movie. Life is quite a bit more challenging because we don't have the benefit of special effects. And what does Paul endure? He says, you know, these are general things, but, you know, from other people, Beatings, imprisonment, and riots. We understand that even though the public reacted with aggressive opposition to Paul, Paul wasn't really interested in the public opinion. Beat me, throw me out of town, I'm coming right back. And so instead of getting a key to the city or having a proclamation read at the city council meeting, no, what happens? Physical harm? Angry mobs? prison cells, all for sake of Christ. But not all of Paul's hardships were from outside sources. Some were because of his own choices. He mentions labor, sleepless nights, and hunger, reminding us that gospel work is hard work. It's rewarding, but it's challenging. Like a worried mother who anxiously waits for their child to make it home late at night, Paul often lost sleep over his concern for those that he knew. And you have that hungers. The implication here is that Paul chose to fast or go without food on the behalf of others, including the Corinthians. Reminds me of the fact that missionaries, when they, they leave their home country, they voluntarily give up the comforts of home. And in the same way, the gospel lifestyle calls us out of our comfort zone to sacrifice for the benefit of others. But outside pressures are not all bad. Hardships are not all bad. They actually, if you read the Bible, have a positive effect. In nature, we see that pressure takes a coal, takes coal and turns it into a diamond. And the pressures of life for the follower of Jesus forms the disciple more progressively into the image of Christ. That's not a man-made principle. It's not just some interesting idea. It's actually God's plan. If you look at the verses there, Romans 5, 3, and 4, listen to this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. See, while that suffering is working on the outside, God is working by His Holy Spirit on the inside to transform us. And so we get to the fourth thing, is it's character developed by the Spirit. Now, Christian character is more than doing good. It's not just checking the box Christianity. It's God's work on the inside that shows up on the outside. And the more we are formed in the image of Christ,
Christ on the inside, the more our character develops and blossoms and shows in our actions. And so verse 6 mentions a few character traits. I really couldn't think of a better word, so I just used that. And the one, more importantly, that develops that character in us. Listen to verse 6 again. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. Have you ever looked at a simple sketch or a drawing that represents something more complex? You know, if you if you have ever thought about building a house, you can look on the internet and find these house plans, you know, that are basically just a bunch of rectangles. But that bunch of rectangles represents something much more um, complex. There's walls, there's plumbing, there's electricity, and eventually, hopefully, people. Well, similarly, Paul sketches in brief some character traits that give us a little bit of an idea of what the gospel lifestyle looks like. Purity of thought and purity of motive. Knowledge and understanding that grow over time. And then a few of the fruit of the Spirit. Patience, kindness, and love grown in. Each of those is cultivated by the Holy Spirit who God has given the task to dwell in the hearts of believers and to work in the hearts of believers, to produce spiritual fruit, to develop spiritual gifts, and to progressively, over time, set us apart more and more for service to God. So what do we gain from this? If we want to live a gospel lifestyle, it requires the Holy Spirit's assistance. We can't go it alone. But the Spirit not only forms character in us, He also helps us as the battle rages along the way. Because the fifth thing we see is that we are equipped for the battle. Now there's a battle that rages on around us every day. It's fierce, it's ongoing, it's spiritual, it's unseen, it's real, it's relentless. And God does not want to leave us unaware of the truth of a spiritual battle. And He doesn't want us to be unprepared for the battle. So like a soldier who is ready for war, the Holy Spirit prepares you for the day-to-day spiritual struggle. Listen to verse 7. By truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Roman soldier would have a sword in their right hand and a shield in their left hand, unless they were left-handed, I guess they could switch it around one of which would be offensive, the sword, one of which was defensive, the shield. And as writer Adam Clark says, we have the doctrine of truth and the power of God as an armor to protect us on all sides, everywhere and on all occasions. See Ephesians 6. See, to live a gospel lifestyle, you must prepare for a spiritual battle every the battle is ongoing and it happens every day. Six, we must seek approval from God alone. Paul continues his list with four pairs that are opposite. You can put them really in two categories. One is the opinion of Paul's enemies. The other is the opinion of God. 
pointing to the fact that it's really only God's opinion that matters. We could look at it more practically in our day as it's God's viewpoint of us and the world's viewpoint of us. Listen in verse 8. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true. And in the first part of verse 9, as unknown and yet well known. So the world view of a disciple. First of all, dishonor. Not worthy of respect. If you look at the respectability scale um, that they do about business, about um, those that would are, are professionals, um, consistently um, ministers um, are ranking lower and lower in respectability. I don't know if they've dropped below um, lawyers, but I do know that in the most recent studies that um, the family doctor was placed at a higher level of respectability than ministers. Christians are not highly respected in our culture, in our day, and we shouldn't expect anything different. Slander. Speaking evil again. Who'd ever thought that talking about Jesus would be declared hate speech? Imposters. Followers of Jesus are accused of deceptive motives and leading people astray. When we hold up the word of truth, yet we're accused of leading people away from the truth, or in the current day, really is the idea of what is truth. It's what we want it to be. And then unknown. The idea of being not important. Ignorable. That's not a really pretty picture, but that's the world's view of the follower of Jesus. But God's point of view, it's honor, which means you're commended for your faithfulness. You may not receive that honor here on this earth, but there is a reward waiting for those that follow. Praiseworthy. Um, a good report means you're well thought of in God's kingdom. True, as opposed to fake. The idea that we are authentic and we're genuine, which means you don't have to be perfect. The more real you are and the more alive you are in Jesus, the more attractive you are to others. Um, if you seem like some kind of plastic mannequin out in the world that just spits out answers, um, people just look at us and just shake their head. But when you live real life like Paul did, when you suffer hardships and persecutions and trials, and God walks you through those, and you talk to somebody and say, hey, listen, this is what I've been through and this is what God did, then you get people's attention. Well known. Now, this doesn't mean famous. You're not going to get your name in the newspaper. They don't really even print many newspapers. You're not going to get it on the Internet. However... We could put your name on the internet if you wanted on there. That doesn't mean you're famous. But being well-known needs to be recognized by both God and God's people. Listen to Galatians 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of God or of men? Approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. It's a clear choice. Do you want to please man or do you want to serve Christ? you want to serve Christ, you want to please man. Only one of the answers is right, but it's up to you to determine the path. Because if you want to live the gospel life, you have to resist the desire to please people and live your life to please God. Now the seventh item requires a little edit on your outline. Um, if you don't mind, just change extending to that extends. Um, I'm not really sure um, my grammar checkers seem to have 
a recurring issue with using extending there, but it liked that extend, so I changed it after we printed the bulletin. So number seven is hope that extends beyond the present. Beyond the grammar discussion, something to look forward to can be a great motivation. Oh, by the way, 36 days to Christmas. You're welcome. Vacation on the calendar to look forward to is encouraging. Just the simple thing as I've got a day off coming or we don't have school next week can bring encouragement and hope. But so much better than that is Christmas. It's a confident expectation that all God's promises will be fulfilled. That what He said is true. He'll carry them out. That things are not always going to be the same. That there's freedom, there's deliverance in Christ. That the hurts, the pains, the challenges of this world will one day end. And that one day Jesus will return. And when He does, He'll finally and completely make all things new. That's the kind of hope that can get you further than just to the end of the day. It can fuel faith to the end of your life. So to illustrate this again, Paul uses more opposites. Verse 10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. So Paul likely shed tears over the condition of others. He longed to see his people and even the Gentiles come to know who the Messiah was, the Christ. But oh, did he spend time rejoicing and thanking God when he saw God's goodness at work and the transformation he was willing to do. So he was sorrowful. He cried, but yet he rejoiced. He was poor, yet making many rich. One commentator said, Paul wasn't in the ministry to get rich. Paul was in the ministry to help others. Paul was willing to abandon everything for the sake of Christ. You see it in his own words. Because he knew that in Christ and Christ alone, he was blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. See Ephesians. He knew that hardship and affliction in this world were worth it for the sake of Christ. You see, living a gospel lifestyle thrives on future hope. Brings us to our last point, number eight. Living a gospel lifestyle involves a love that grows and overflows. Paul, writing on behalf of his co-workers, his fellow missionaries, Sets the example to the Corinthians. Our hearts are open wide. Now, we need to think beyond just pure affection here. He indeed did love them and cared for them. But just remember that the heart in the mind of both the Hebrew and the Greeks was the control center of the body. And he wanted to help them understand very clearly that he loved them, he cared for them, and he had made every he done everything possible to present himself in a way that pleased God. But haven't you come to 
realize sometimes as God works in your heart that sometimes when somebody seems closed off to you, that maybe it's that it's not you, it's me kind of thing. It could be that maybe you're not as open to them as you think you are. But even though the false teachers are stirring up trouble and trying to raise people up against Paul, Paul doesn't hold back. He says, I've spoken freely. I've opened my mouth. I've served you. I have loved you. And in response to that, he asks, encourages the Corinthians to return the favor, to reciprocate that. And he invites them. He says, widen your hearts also. Now, I don't want you to get bogged down in that phrase that in the ESV is in parentheses, speaks to them as, you know, he speaks to them as children. Now, it doesn't mean that he's, you know, using simple words. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's condescending them, but it is a phrase inserted there to help us to understand that Paul was speaking to them as a father would to a child, and he saw them as his spiritual children. And he says, you know, if you want to say it simply, hey, return the favor toward us. We've widened our hearts toward you. Do the same toward us. Have that same affection. Enjoy the same fellowship that we share in Christ, and then join us in the work, the partnership, to be co-workers for the gospel. Because you, you can see through the patterns, you look through chapters 5 and 6, he talks about this ministry of reconciliation, and he encourages the Corinthians to participate in that because they have been reconciled to God. Then he says, hey, listen, if you're going to get this right in the world around you in Corinth, we've got to be reconciled with each other. We've got to be on the same page, headed in the same direction. And he says, you know what, go out and share that message with others. See, if we don't have an open heart to God, an open heart to other Christians, and an open heart to those who are apart from Christ, you'll fail in any attempt to share the gospel like that. There's no other way. But oh, when our hearts are wide open, we enjoy sweet fellowship with the Father. We hear the voice of the Spirit, and we have clear communication. When we come into church or a fellowship of brothers and sisters, there's unity, there's fellowship, there's partnership with other Christians. That the main things are the main things and the things that are secondary remain secondary. We lay aside petty differences and we do the work. We love each other and we follow after Jesus because that's what he tells us to do. And then as we look out the doors, as we walk out of the building, it's care and compassion for the people that Jesus misses the most as we widen our hearts. See, I said at the beginning, God invites believers to grow in Christ and join Him to offer hope to hurting people. I want to share with you a poem, and then we'll draw some application and we'll be done. The poem's called Hearts Wide Open. And I think you'll hear echoes of Ezekiel that we read earlier and also of 2 Corinthians 6 that we read today. From stone to flesh, you changed me. My heart shaped by your hand. From death to life, you raised me. Forgiven now I stand. We worship you, Lord. Your scars are my reminder. 
You're crossed the great exchange. In you, I live forever. Now free from sin and shame. You have my heart and I have yours. I once was lost, but now restored. You are the Lord of all things new. Hearts open wide, we worship you. Hearts open wide, we worship you, Lord. So how do we draw our hearts to this? What do we need to do concerning this? I want you to think in your mind, I don't have a picture of it, but, but think about concentric circles, which is a circle, and then a bigger circle, and then a bigger circle. They are ever-widening. Think about when you throw a rock into a pond, and you get the ripples that spread out. Think about that. Think about an ever-widening circle. Several years ago, um, an author, seminary professor, wrote a book. It's a great book about just living a life of a disciple. It's called Concentric Circles of Concern. The idea that you start with yourself and your relationship with God, then you move to your family, then you move to your relatives, then you move to your friends, then you move to your neighbors, then acquaintances, and ultimately the ends of the earth is person X, the person you haven't met yet. The idea is you start close to home, but you don't stay there, that you're working to further the gospel to influence more and more people. And so this morning, I want us to think about widening our hearts and the idea of these concentric circles. That as we grow in love, God will expand our love. And as we open up our hearts, that God will begin to do something beautiful. So there's really three steps there. First of all, we have to understand that God's heart is open wide toward us. His grace is sufficient. That's where it all starts. Not mad at you. He's not disappointed. He's not discouraged. He desires your very best. He calls you to himself. He's waiting, ready for those who call on the name of his son Jesus to bring salvation, to bring forgiveness, to bring restoration, and to give you a new and exciting life. But once you've made that step, as we widen our hearts, then we have to widen our hearts toward Jesus. Remember I told you it's not about comfort, it's about discomfort sometimes. You ever think about somebody that's, you know, think about arms crossed. You know, sometimes. It's a closed off position, isn't it? What does it say? Leave me alone. <laughs> Don't talk to me. You really blew it. Yeah. I mean, if you walk to somebody and you're like, hey, how are you doing this morning? Their arms are crossed. You know, maybe they even turn their back like this. You think, okay, I'm going to stay away from them. I don't know. They, maybe they didn't sleep well or something. But, um, but you, know, you think about it. Then, you know, take that into this. You know, somebody that's like, it's so good to see you. You know, and all of a sudden, you know, you're just enveloped by, um, by arms. So widen your heart toward Jesus. Don't be closed off. He knows everything anyway. I'm sure he's going to touch on some stuff that may initially hurt. But in the end, there is freedom and relief. There's life. So we have to expand our hearts toward Jesus. But then we also have to widen our hearts toward our church family, Christian brothers and sisters. That comes in you know, the willingness to be honest, to be vulnerable, to be real with one another. To grow in love as we walk through 
celebration and the sadness as we walk through the defeats and the victories and struggles and the successes. And then finally, widening our hearts towards those that Jesus misses most. Just imagine, you know, as we close, just your, you know, your your heart and, and your eyes being connected. A very narrow heart has a very narrow field of vision. You only see what is right in front of you, and you rarely see those folks that are on the margins. When I say you see what's in front of you, you see the people that you love, your family, you see the friends that you have, you see the people that you like, and then progressing slowly out, it's the people that maybe you know you have a little difficulty with, maybe they get on your nerves or frustrate you, maybe the people that you just don't like, you know, maybe the people that are even more extreme than that on the outside. And as we widen our hearts toward God, God will widen our vision, and we will see, like Jesus told his disciples, that the field is white unto harvest, and that we pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field, and we find that with our heart wide open toward Jesus, toward our brothers and sisters, and toward the people that he misses most, that we're the laborers. You're the laborer, and he wants to send us. Oh, Lord, widen our hearts. I pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your word that is true. Thank you that even in the times that your word challenges us, that it's still for our benefit and our good. And so, Lord, we ask this morning you would help us in this opportunity, this moment that we have to to widen our hearts toward you. We would see the great expanse of your love. We would see how high and long and wide and deep it is. And we would plunge headfirst in and say, Jesus, I need all of you. I want you to have all of me. Help us to become more and more in line with what you would have as brothers and sisters united in fellowship and in partnership for ministry for the things that matter. And then widen our hearts, open our eyes, and open our mouths to reach out to those hurting people. We would offer hope. We would extend your love to our lives and our words to those people that you miss. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. When to sing, Actually, we're going to listen. Um, you're going to respond. They're going to sing. Maybe um, gives you opportunity to just respond. And maybe one of those areas. Maybe you know it all starts with that relationship with with Jesus. And you know, just pray and ask God, God, grow me in your my relationship with you. Help me to learn to trust you more, to know you more, to love you more. And then pray, God, help me with my brothers and sisters. Help. Take me to a deeper level of commitment to those that are called by your name. Widen my heart toward my fellow Christians. And then, God, widen my heart toward the people that are there all around us that need to know there's hope, there's salvation in Jesus. Musicians are going to play. I invite you to listen to the Lord. Respond as he speaks. If you need someone to pray, I'll be at the front. If you Today, you're wanting to place your faith and trust in Christ. I'll be waiting today. If God has another 
decision that you need to make, now would be a good time for that. Or if you just need to pray and talk to God, it's great for that also. So let's listen to the Lord as He speaks to our hearts. Thank you for being here this morning as we worship together. I want to remind you just of a few things briefly before we take opportunity to sing. Um, first of all, immediately following our worship service, um, we will have a called business meeting. Um, sole purpose is to um, vote on our proposed budget for 2024. So if you are a member, I would encourage you to, to stick around and um, we'll try to get started as soon as we can after we've um, we've said our goodbyes to one another and try to move along as quickly as, as we're able so we can move on toward lunch. And so that's right after we're finished. Um, second of all, um, there will be no Wednesday activities this week. And so um, we know 11 o'clock Bible study, no prayer meeting in the evening. Just encourage you to use that time. Um, you can pray at home. You can prepare food or just enjoy a, a night or a, a day off. And I'm um, and the church office will also be closed on Wednesday. Um, third, um, you may see some shoeboxes down here today. Today is the collection day for shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child. So if you brought your shoeboxes, um, wonderful. If you forgot, said, oh no, um, you can still um, get them by sometime in the, in the morning hours tomorrow. Um, or you can take them directly to uh, First Baptist Church of Burleson. That's the collection location if that fits your... Um, your drive a little more um, also. And other than that, I um, just want to thank you for your attendance this morning. Invite you to, to join in standing as we sing together a song of um, as we depart and just say, Lord bless you and hope you have a happy Thanksgiving.